It's time on 2NURFM to talk travel. Sally Lucas joining me, Jan Klein, and today we're heading off to Africa for an interesting horseback safari. We'll also look at some small ship cruising in remote areas. We're heading off to a really interesting place in Africa, and not only that, we're doing it in a really interesting way because, of course, you think Africa, you think safaris, you think wild animals. But there's an extra bit. There is an extra bit with an extra animal who isn't wild. Well, they can be wild if they're brumbies, but these are horses. And I thought this was quite fascinating that you can now do a horse safari in the Okavango Delta, which is in Botswana, which is renowned for its prolific wildlife in that area of all those big five, you know, the, the lion, buffalo, elephant, etc., hippo, and so on. And... Um, Yeah, I just thought, wow, but wouldn't the animals, I thought the horses might be afraid of the the other animals as well and and vice versa. But they said it's amazing how accepting they seem to don't think of the horses as a threat. I suppose they have zebras in Africa, don't they? Yeah, well, they do. And I guess they're a horse-like creature, so, and, and zebras Although aren't a threat to any no, other not. animal. They're a prey, in They're fact. a prey, yes, yes, but not a threat. Mm. So maybe because they are similar, I mean, they're taller, of course, than a, than a zebra, and they're not striped, but <laughs> I guess they could put paint stripes on them if they wished, and maybe. <laughs> Perhaps not if you're looking at lions. No, well, that's it. So this, this um, journalist has recently done this trip, and, you know, she was quite blown away by how different it was having been to Africa before, but some 11 years previously, and she went in the dry last time, as this time she has come when the delta is exploding with all its water and water life, which is generally between April and October when it floods with all the floodplains are full and you're seeing this, these wonderful sights that you will see. And it is considered one of the um, natural seven natural wonders of Africa, and it was declared the 1,000th World Heritage Site by UNESCO in only 2014. So there you go. We've got 1,000 World Heritage Sites in the world now. That's amazing. I didn't realise we had that many. Plenty to go and see. Isn't there? Absolutely, Jane. So they call it a veritable Garden of Eden, and and as I said earlier, it supports the largest and most diverse population of wildlife in Botswana, with exceptional game viewing, and that's guaranteed basically at that time of the year on any safari that you'll see everything, which is a rarity you don't always, as as you can probably understand, Jane. So it's, it's the northwest of Botswana, this is the Okavango Delta, and it's one of the world's largest inland alluvial plains. So it's very unique in itself as well, and its waters rise in Angola before coming south. Okay, um, so it covers an area of 13,000 square kilometres, so it's quite a unique and large area as well. So she did this, this horse safari, which was through a company um, called just, I think, um, Okavango Horse Safaris, um, through a, an operator in Australia called Bench International, who's been operating in South Africa more years than I've been a travel agent. So they're a well-respected, well-renowned operator that you would be dealing with. So, you know, be assured all safety concerns are taken into consideration, etc. And she had a guide who was a native of the Delta and a staff member for uh, 23 years. So a very experienced guide takes you around on these. And, of course, they can just spot. I can't believe how they spot animals. They'll be miles away, and I'm going, where, where? You know, and that is just amazing. They do spot animals quite early for you to get them. Um, And they did spot just about everything whilst they were there. And they said the only time, you know, sometimes where they felt a little threatened and they had to move on was like a matriarch of the elephant tribe 
tribe who thought they were getting a bit too close to the younger elephants was starting to trumpet and carry on, so they, they headed off. Um, but they found um, a bunch of wild dogs which are becoming endangered, not the hyenas, the actual wild dogs of Africa, which are quite unique. They've got these really big ears and they're tan with a black spot on them, large black spot, but they'd apparently had a recent kill, so they were just lying in a group together and were quite unfazed as the horses went past. And also they, they rode alongside some young giraffes and the mother giraffe was just there, just keeping an eye, but again, they didn't have any problems at all. She said at night though, when you're sort of a safariing and you can hear these elephants trumpeting and through the jungle, she said she dug really deeper into her, her little sleeping bag and just was closing her eyes really tight. But. <laughs> But yes, nothing, nothing was any problem. But they provide, you know, all, all the um, saddles, boots, helmets, um, instructions on how best to mount and dismount. Um, you have, as I said, a guide with you all the time. And you do go to get on the water as well, which obviously you don't do on the horse. Of course, you, you can do that by the, the canoes, etc. So you're getting to see hippos, etc. But I just thought, how fascinating, Jane. It's the first you know, time I've ever heard of a, of a horse safari. Um, and for those horse riders out there, I mean, there's a lot of people who were involved in, in horses in the Hunter Valley and equestrian side of things, I thought that would be an interesting trip for them to do Certainly. and get a, you know, maybe get a group together and, and go off together. I mean, how wonderful an experience would that be? Fantastic. And sharing your stories at night and, you know, what you see. And up on horseback too, you obviously you'd probably see a bit better than when you're just sitting in a vehicle or, or on foot. And I would imagine taking your binoculars would be a good idea as well. But... Um, just very interesting. There's so many interesting things keep coming up these days that you can do. So fascinating stuff. Talking travel for our sponsor, Travel on King with Sally Lucas. And uh, going to uh, some small ship cruising, Sally, and into some really interesting areas. Yes, Jane, it's evolving all the time, this small ship cruising now, and appealing, I guess, to a, a lot of people who don't particularly want to do, if you like, uh, high ocean cruising or even large ship cruising, both. So the... Um, um, small ship cruises nudge in closer to your shorelines, which also means you're not out quite often or not very often on open ocean either, though. There are some journeys, obviously, where you will have some open ocean cruising to, to get to where you need to go, and then you'll just be hugging that coastline or that area. And it's growing all the time, as I said. Now, we know that Antarctica is one of the areas which has been growing consistently over the years, and it's fantastic. So I don't think I need to say much more about that, because I have harked on that quite a few times before. But if it is on your bucket list, please do it. Uh, it is an amazing, amazing destination, as Jane can attest to, and, Absolutely. and many people that I I know and friends and, and clients that have been down there. I mean, everyone just comes back blown away and in awe by what they have experienced. So please, if you're thinking about it, do it. The Galapagos Islands, of course. Now, that is one that I haven't done. But again, Jane, you have you lucky person. <laughs> and um, also, again, many people I have had do that. Again, the same being the area of sort of the theory of Darwin's evolution you know, etc. that you're seeing these wonderful creatures that aren't phased by humans because they haven't been hunted or, you know, killed off or had anything nasty happen to them. So you're in this wonderful area where you're just going to be surrounded by the most incredible waters and the most incredible wildlife. So that, again, should be on a bucket list. I mean, it depends whether you want to go cold or not so cold by going to Galapagos. The Sepik River in Papua New Guinea is another area now. The Sepik River is an area where they have North Star cruises, for example, 
travels 160 kilometres up the Sepik River to visit remote communities, which you would never see that still live in, in stilt villages over the river. So you're getting to some remarkable area where people are still living the life they have always lived. So no modernity whatsoever. Um, so that is fascinating as well. And they also stop at near um, other islands that have got volcanic atolls and all sorts of interesting things you can do around, uh, around New Guinea. The other area is the Marquesas, uh, around the Pacific area out from Tahiti, where Aaron Nui, which is a cruise freighter, um, and it's just about to be replaced by a newer version. Um, they're upgrading the vessel, the Aaron Nui. It was called the Aaron Nui 3. It'll now be called the Aaron Nui 5. And it's taking passengers and goods, like the Hurti Gruten does on the coastal region of Norway we've spoken about, does a similar thing where it's taking you around the remote islands of French Polynesia and that's the only way they get their food, their fuel and other staples to those remote islands. So again, you're seeing communities that aren't really part of your like of the 21st century almost. You know, it's, it's a very interesting thing to do. The other area which is um, proving popular as well, Jane, is northern Scotland and the UK and the islands off the top of Scotland where polar um, pioneer, for example, explores Stone Age villages and World Heritage listed sites in the Orkneys and the Shetlands, etc. Plus, you've got always now the, the high Arctic and Greenland, um, parts of Russia. So the world is your oyster and the theory is that they're going to be introducing more and more of these small ship journeys into remote areas where you cannot access them no roads or there's no other means of getting there and often no airports either so the the sea vessel which is I guess we're going way back we're almost regressing in a sense aren't we that we're going back to those older forms of transport that were always around when people just lived on the rivers and by, by vessel. So yes, some fascinating things you can do. And also the other thing I was going to mention, Jane, how cruising has changed over the years. Like I can remember when I first started cruising, you know, you shared in your three berth, four berth, six berth, they were very basic cabins, you know, just upper and lower berths with pretty uncomfortable mattresses and you know, you couldn't even swing a cat in them. So most of the companies, even the small ship cruising, are give us, giving us a much larger cabin, a much nicer cabin, more ambient, um, even if it's not an outside stateroom, whatever, even if it's an inside cabin, you're getting a better quality cabin, better quality bedding. Your meals, I mean, the old day of just buffets have all gone. You're getting beautiful, you know, three to five course meals. You're getting um, food, you know, food options on board now where you can go and it might be a burger joint, an ice cream place, a coffee shop. Um, so you're getting all these changes now and you've got the options, as we've just said, of the style of cruising you want. So you've got a much wider range of cruise vessels to choose from, better food, better cabin comfort, more entertainment, better ports of call. A lot of these companies now do also have, of course, their guest lecturers on board to give you wonderful information about where you're going to be hopping off and the ports of call along the way. So cruising has definitely changed, I think, and for the better. Well, thank you, Sally Lucas. Thank you, Jane. And we'll be talking travel again next Friday after the one o'clock news for our sponsor, Travel on King, on 2NURFM.